Proverbs 23. Glad you could make it out this morning with the weather. I thought possibly the for the first time the first service would have more people than the second service there for a little bit. So I'm glad you can make it out, and uh, let's get into God's Word here. And let's do the smart thing and have a quick word of prayer. Uh, Father, thankful to be here. Just pray for safety for all those traveling, Lord, and those that can make it out today. We just pray, Lord, that you would get them safely home. And Lord, just for the time we're here, just pray your spirit would speak. We'd listen to what you have to say in your name. Amen. Alrighty, as we've been going through here with Proverbs, you know the key point of everything we've been talking about is wisdom, is applying wisdom to our lives and applying wisdom to decisions we make and seeking wisdom, maybe even before we need the wisdom, so that way when those decisions come up, you know what to do. You know as well as I do, there's going to be situations that you're going to face this week where there are certain ways the world will want you to go, certain ways the flesh will want you to go, but what does God want from you? And seeking wisdom to say, Lord, what do you want? Well, here in Proverbs 23, the key verse is actually verse 12. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Apply your hearts to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. That's the key verse. Because it's one thing to hear instruction, it's one thing to hear knowledge, but are you going to do something with it? I mean, people come to church all the time, then they go home, they don't make any changes in their lives. People read the Bible, they seek counsel, they pray but yet they don't seek what God wants from them. They don't apply their heart to instruction. They may hear things, they may know things, but they don't apply it. The analogy is simple, but it works. Imagine you want to paint your house, so you grab the paint, but you never open the paint can, you never stick the brush in, you never apply the paint to the walls. What good's it going to do? You have this great can of paint sitting right there, but unless you apply the paint, nothing changes. You may have a lot of wisdom and knowledge in your mind and your heart, but unless you apply it to your life, what difference does it make? And how are we supposed to apply? We're supposed to apply through instruction. And that's what we're here to do today. Let's instruct. Let's see what God's Word has to say. Because you take those instructions that God has given us, and that's how you do it. For some reason, God decided thousands of years ago, the way He was going to communicate between you and I, and excuse me, I should say between Him and us, is through His Word. That's how he decided he wanted to communicate with us. He had a lot of different mediums available to him. He had a lot of different options. But the way he chooses to communicate to you and me is through his word. And that's how we learn instruction is by studying it and by going over it and saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? How can we apply this? A lot of us don't look at the instruction manual all too close, though, do we? I've shared this story before. There's ways that Dawn and I do things that are just complete polar opposites of each other. Anytime we get a piece of uh, solder furniture, the thing I like to do is get everything out, put all the piles in the right order, put A screws here, B screws there, C screws, etc., and I follow the instructions. Dawn, she just jumps right in, and she just does her own thing. And for some reason, it always comes out together. She has a lot of pieces left over, a lot of pieces. I mean, enough to like add on to the house type thing. And I don't know, I don't know how it stays together, but it stays together. But here's the thing is, when she gets herself stuck in a jam, she doesn't know what to do. She gets frustrated, she gets bothered. Then I have the audacity to suggest, why not looking at the instructions, you know? There's a reason why they printed it and gave it to us. How many times in life do we get into that same thing? You're trying to piece together your life on your own. Things don't go the way you want. You get frustrated, you get bothered, you get upset. Lord, why? God says, are you following the instructions? If you follow the instructions, things go better. 
How simple is that? When you go out on your own, what do you think is going to happen? We have to follow the instructions. And what do the instructions tell us? Well, the instructions tell us right here to apply it. And what are we supposed to apply? Well, jump down to verse 23. Buy the truth. Do not sell it. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. God says get truth. Now, what's truth? Well, there's three truths in the Bible. First one is John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the life, and the truth. So Jesus is truth. Later on in the book of John, Jesus says that the word is truth. And then I believe in John 14, he says that the Spirit is truth. So those three things, Jesus, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. If your life is lining up with Jesus, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, then you're walking in truth, and to be quite honest, you're not going to go wrong. problem is we don't line our lives up with that, do we? A lot of times we say, Lord, what do, you, what do I want? Instead of, Lord, what do you want? When you seek Him, He'll tell you. You're seeking Jesus' wisdom. You line your life up with the Bible. The Bible says that action is wrong, so why would I want to do it? That's not truth. The Spirit guides and leads me and says, this is not the path I want you to go. I need to listen to that. That's truth. But when you get yourself off truth, you're going to run into problems. And so what are we supposed to do? Buy the truth and not sell it. Now, not sell it does not mean don't give it out to other people. Not sell it means you treasure it and you see how important it is. And you say, I don't want to let go of this truth. Yes, I'll pass the truth of Christ on to others. But for me personally, I want to hold on to this truth and live it. And all I do and say... Wisdom, instruction, and understanding, verse 23. That's a pretty good deal. So with this mindset now of what is wisdom, applying it and truly living it, how do we live it and apply it? Well, let's go to the first example here. Verse 1, Proverbs 23. It says, When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat. If you are a man given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. See, here's the thing is, in verses 1 through 3, what we're really talking about is looking at someone's life, that lifestyle, and saying, that's what I want. You see the person that has power. You see the person that has authority. You see the person that has riches. You say, that's what I want. And so therefore, since that's what I want, that's what I'm going to do. Look at verse 3. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. It's deceptive. How many times have we seen Christians compromise the truth because they see something they want in life? I want the house that he has. I want the car that he has. I want the authority and power, position, uh, prestige that he has. I want the riches that he has. That's deceptive. And you're willing to compromise your life, your wife, your family for it? Nah, it's not worth it. I think of Daniel when I go through this passage because in Daniel 1, if you read about it, when Daniel was uh, taken as a captive from uh, Israel over to Babylon, one of the things that they did is they set him in front of the king's feasts. And Daniel said, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to eat the king's food no matter how good it is. Why? Because those feasts, those feasts were uh, done in honor of the ba uh, pagan uh, Babylonian gods. So Daniel said, by me sitting down and eating this food, I'm really giving honor to a false god. I'm not going to do it. He said, I'm not going to compromise. But yet, we compromise a lot because we see something, it's deceptive, and we say, that's what I want. I'm telling you right now, if you spend your whole life chasing that promotion, that power, that prestige, that riches, that authority, oh, it's not worth it. Look at the next passage here. Verse 4, do not overwork to be rich, because of your own understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They, they fly away like an eagle toward heaven. You know how many times I've seen people so focused on the money, the promotion, the prestige, 
They lose everything else. You know how many times in counseling I've had people come up to me and say, you know what? I wish I wouldn't have worked so much back when the kids were younger. I wish I wouldn't have worked so much when the marriage was new. I had my focus in the wrong spot. And so you know what? I gained the money. I lost my family. I gained the house. I lost my kids. It's not worth it. Now some of you may be saying, okay, that's a bit extreme. I'm not going to lose my wife. I'm not going to lose my kids. I'm not necessarily saying divorce. I'm saying emotional. I'm saying time, peace in the house. Yeah, your marriage may be together. You may still have that house. You may still have the family. But is there a closeness there? It's funny. When you go ask the kids, what do they think? What does they think about what dad and mom does? Is it all about work? Is it all about the money? Because here's the interesting thing. Look at verse 5 one more time. For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Now, I don't like to compare, but it's interesting because I know people that have a job that makes a whole lot more uh, money than I do. But yet, when I look at their lives, I see them making struggles and struggling with finances, etc. And when I sit down and do financially counseling with couples sometimes, I hear people say something like, where does the money go? Well, I know where the money goes. It makes wings and flies away. That's what it says right there. Because sometimes what happens is when you're so focused on the money, you're so focused on the promotion, the authority, the riches, the prestige, you feel like you never get ahead. Now, I know there are seasons of life where you have to work a lot. I know that. And there are seasons of life where work gets really busy and you've got to pick up the overtime, etc. But I know of people that for year after year after year after year, they're like, it's just a really busy time. And once things settle down at work, Pastor, my family is really going to get involved with stuff. Or you know what? My kids just need to understand this is a really busy season of life right now. And Dad will be available. Mom will be available once we're through this season of life. Well, that season of life is now lasting year after year after year after year. And then they come in and say, why doesn't anything change? Why am I not getting ahead? Verse 5, the riches are making wings and flying away. It's not worth it. It's deceptive. The world will always dangle a carrot in front of you. It always will. You will always have that boss that says, you know what, if you put a little more effort in, I think there's a place in this company for you for a long time. There's always going to be that dangling in front of you saying, boy, I know I haven't spent a lot of time with the family, but boy, they're offering double time on Saturday. It's always going to be a dangle. Sometimes you've got to take it. Sometimes you've got to work it. That's a fact. There's a lot of times where we have to step back and say it's not worth it. It's amazing what money does. You know, I, I like to follow sports. There's a contract that was just signed, I think it was seven years, $140 million. $140 million, seven years to play baseball. Isn't that crazy? There's a guy right now, they're in a contract dispute. The last I heard, he wanted $20 million and the team was offering $15 million. I don't know about you. After six, seven million, what's five million? I don't know. I mean, seriously. Uh, you know, uh, I think Bill Gates is worth, what, $38 billion? And he's still trying to earn more. Warren Buffett, one of the best investors of our time, is still trying to earn more billions. My goodness, that's a deceptive carrot, isn't it? It's not worth it. But yet it dangles in front of us and we keep thinking, well, if I just bring a little more in, we could get a little farther ahead on the house. We could get that paid off. We could be a little more secure. It's a carrot that's dangled in front of you that flies away. It's not worth it. God says it's not. Because the whole point of, of riches is you're supposed to be investing in spiritual riches. That's what you want. Here, turn with me to a couple passages, if you will. Go to Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30. One of my favorite verses in the Bible about wealth and riches is found here in Proverbs. Proverbs 30. We'll get to this, obviously, in a few weeks. Proverbs 30. 
Go ahead and look here at verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. As I've said numerous times out here, middle class is not all that bad. Lord, if I get too much, I'll get my focus off you. But Lord, help me not also to be at the bottom where I'm letting the worry and fear and anxiety of life get the best of me with finances. Lord, just meet my needs. You don't have to turn there, but it says in Hosea 13, it says, When they had pastures, they were filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted, therefore they forgot me. Boy, I've seen people that when the going is tough, not just financially, but the going is tough in life, they cling to God so close. But as soon as things start working out, they just fall off the face of the earth. Their heart gets full and they forget God. I, I'll never forget, there was a situation years ago out here. There was a gal that was coming out just a little bit here and there, and she had an unsaved husband. And her unsaved husband was uh, faced with some pretty traumatic news, very difficult situation. And he came out to church and just heartbroke over this situation. And I said, you know what? This is a situation that's beyond our control. We just got to pray about this. So we stopped. We prayed, gave it over the Lord. And it's one of the, the biggest miracles I still ever remember happening. And that guy, it was just amazing to see what God did. So he came back to church. He was thrilled. He was excited. And then he disappeared. Hasn't been back since. His heart was full. He got what he needed and wanted. And then he fell off the face of the earth. Now, I'm not saying that that is the thought process that went through his mind. But that's what happens to us. I'm telling you right now, when there's a stressful situation out here at church, I pray more than I do when things are going good. I know when I'm overwhelmed with the day, there's numerous times in my mind of, Lord, i got, I got to get in the Word. I need your peace and comfort. But when things are going good, it's just real easy to sit back and relax. When your heart is full, it's easy to forget God. And so sometimes people say, well, you know what? There's always a thorn in my side. I'd say, maybe that's good. That thorn in your side may constantly remind you that you need God. That thorn in your side may be the thing that God uses to never let you get your focus off the Lord. Because what good are treasures on this earth? You don't have to turn there, but just remember this passage if you're taking notes. Matthew 6, 19. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Moms and dads, guys and gals out there, if your treasure is the promotion, if your treasure is the business getting bigger, if your treasure is the authority and the riches, that's where your heart will be. Your heart will not be on being a mom or a dad or a brother or sister in the Lord or a servant of Christ. Your heart will be there focusing on that. Now some people may be saying, they're saying, okay, well, I don't focus on the world. I've met pastors that's focused on the ministry that they've lost their family. See, you have to make sure your heart is focused on Jesus first. And keep it simple. For me, my relationship with Christ is one. Dawn is number two. My kids are number three. Harvest Fellowship is number four. That's just how it works. If I put Harvest Fellowship before my kids, what's going to happen to my family? It's going to fall apart. If I put Harvest Fellowship before my wife, what's going to happen? If I put my kids before my wife? I don't know how many times people have told me, you know what? The marriage is going downhill. It's horrible. So we're just going to focus on the kids. No. To be an effective parent, you've got to be first to be an effective spouse. So Christ comes first, and you've got to get that order, because if you don't have that order, 
Your heart's going to be in the wrong spot. Your treasure's going to be in the wrong spot. You're not going to have the eternal perspective. And the things that you think are important are not important for all of eternity. Classic story. You probably have all heard it before. But you remember the story of the guy that was allowed to take a suitcase full of stuff to heaven and he packed a suitcase that he could keep for all of eternity, got up to heaven, and then as he got up to heaven, they said, open up your suitcase, what did you bring for all of eternity? And they looked down and they said, pavement, because he bought gold. That's what he brought for all of eternity. He wanted to bring gold. So he he brought the gold from earth, but when he got up to heaven, it's just pavement, because remember, the streets of heaven are gold. Isn't that the perspective that God is trying to tell us? What is important down here, generally speaking, is not important up in heaven. And so we pat ourselves on the back for being the good workers, the promotions, the money, the finances, the bigger house, etc. And God says, you know what? How are you as a dad? How are you as a man? How are you as a woman of the Lord? How are you as a mother, as a friend, a sister, a brother in Christ? What did you do to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what matters. And this is what Proverbs is trying to tell us here in Wisdom. Verse 5, Riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle towards heaven. You're never going to have enough, according to the world. Never. But yet, we can have enough in the Lord because he sustains us. What about the flip side of this? Look at verse 6. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. So I'm going to read a different translation out of this. This is out of the New Living Translation. I like the way it reads here. It says, don't eat with people who are stingy. Don't desire their delicacies. They're always thinking about how much it costs. Eat and drink, they say, but they don't mean it. You'll throw up what little you've eaten, and your compliments will be wasted. So what's the perspective of that? Do you ever know somebody that tells you something's okay, and you know really in your heart that it's not okay? Do you know that person that says, oh, go ahead, it's fine, it's no big deal? Are you sure? Oh, it's not a big deal. And later on, you hear from a friend, from a friend, from a friend, oh, they were really bothered you did that. That's what it's saying right here. Verse 7, eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. I know probably all of you out there have perfect marriages, and so therefore my example with Dawn and I doesn't sit well with you. But have you ever had the conversation with your spouse of, honey, do you care if I do this? Oh, that's fine, go ahead and do it. Do you really care? Because I know you're not a real big fan of that, and I don't want it to be a problem later on. Oh, it's not a big deal. Go ahead and do it. Are you sure? Because I don't want this to be a problem later on. And then you go do it, and you find out they get upset. Now you have a glimpse into our life sometimes. It's like, I asked you, is it okay? You said yes. Problem is, what a lot of times, we don't mean what we say. Why is that? Why is that as brothers and sisters in the Lord, and as friends and family members, that we're supposed to be so close, that we just can't say what we mean and mean what we say. I've shared with you before, my little prayer lately has been, Lord, thick skin, soft heart. The body of Christ gets so easily offended and bothered about such little things. Why can't we have an openness to say, you know what, I want you to go do that, but yet my heart's really not in it. So what do you do then? Well, if you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. Well, I'm not cheerful, so don't give? No. If your heart's not in the right spot, seek the Lord and say, Lord, why is my heart not in the right spot? Why do I have such a hard time with this? Why am I so bothered by this? Why am I so offended by this? Seek the Lord and say, Lord, either change my heart or reveal to me what needs to be done. I don't want to sit here in bitterness. I don't want to sit here in anger and frustration. How often do we do that as human beings? We just sit there and stew over things. Lord, 
Shape my heart to be more like you. Because I don't want to be the one that says in verse 7, eat and drink, but his heart's not with you. Oh, that didn't bother me. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. Bitterness builds up. Oh, go ahead and do it. It's not a big deal. Anger builds up. No, Lord, I want to seek you. Why? I want my heart to be right with you. I want to mean what I say and say what I mean. Because the problem is, words, after a while, become meaningless. Look at verse 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for you will despise the wisdom of your words. I run into this a lot. I run into this a lot of, sometimes people just don't want to talk to me. Which I don't know why. I think I'm a good friend. But sometimes they just don't want to talk to me. And I, and I, and I run into this. And so, I used to always think, one more phone call, one more card, one more email, one more contact, and it's finally going to push them over the edge of where it's all going to come together. And I realized the Lord says, James, it's not you, it's me and their heart. That's what it comes down to. And that's been such a huge burden off my shoulders to realize I can't make somebody do what's right. I can point them in the right direction. I can't make them want to go deeper in their lives or their marriage or their lives and do what's right. They have to go and do that on their own through the Lord. And sometimes the best thing I can do is verse 9 is really just not say anything. It's not because I don't love them. It's not because I don't care. But you know what? My words return void. God's word doesn't. They know the truth. They know what they're supposed to be doing. So therefore, they need to take steps in that right direction. Maybe you're in a situation right now where there's someone you care about deeply and you've told them and told them and told them. Maybe you need to quit telling them and just pray about it. Or maybe you're the person that you've been told and told and told and told, and you're sick and tired of hearing it. Is there truth in this statement? Is God trying to speak? Maybe you need to listen. Let's not be foolish and, and, and shut off the words, because God may be trying to speak there. He may be trying to say something that we need to hear and that we need to listen. It goes back to verse 12. Let's apply our heart to instruction. Let, let's seek wisdom. Let's really listen to what God has to say. And building on that, we went over verses 13 and 14 last week, so not going to spend a whole lot of time on that, but I really encourage you, if you weren't here last week, grab a copy of the CD or, or listen to it online, especially if you have little ones at home, because we talked about discipline and training up kids and the importance of, as godly parents, raising godly kids, training them in the Lord, not just getting them and raising them. And maybe you don't have kids, but you're still going to be around little ones where you want to help train them in a godly manner. But the flip side to this is, is, look at this right here. Verse 19. Hear, my son, and be wise. See, that's what we're talking about. Hear and be wise. Verse 22. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. See, speaking of wisdom and listening, I'm willing to bet there's some parents out here today, your heart is broken over choices your kids are making right now. And just as we talked about last week, I raised them better than this. They know better than this. Well, verse 22, they need to listen and not despise the mother. Look at verse 24. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her, he, excuse me, let her who bore you rejoice. Boy, there is no greater joy to see your kids go deeper in the Lord. Third John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear my kids walk in the truth. But there's also no greater pain to see your kids do something that they know is not right. What a flip side there, right? Isn't this tiny little picture into the eyes of God? Do you not realize how rejoiceful God in heaven is when you and I do something right in the Lord? But how grieved he is when we do something in the flesh? In fact, the Bible says, do not grieve the spirit. 
We break God's heart when we choose to go in the path of sin rather than the path of righteousness. We want to do what's right. We want to do what's right. And as a parent, there's a joy in seeing your kids go deeper in the Lord. But there's also pain when they don't. My kids are very young, but yet when I see them do something at a spiritual point gets them, oh man, that's great. We've been talking a lot about Christmas lately because Christmas obviously is coming up and the boys are excited. Elias and Jude are getting to the point of grasping and understanding it. So one of the things that we keep trying to do with them is to make sure they understand it's all about Christ, all about Jesus. You know, um, my, you know, we don't have a Christmas tree at home, and I've shared that with you before. Dawn has a manger up, and she has a manger that she puts the presents around. And I just have to share this real quick. That's Dawn's choice. I love Christmas trees. If you have a Christmas tree, please invite me over. I'm, I'd like to s- just stare at it uh, and look at it for a while because I'm not allowed to look at Christmas trees. So we have a, a manger that, uh, because it's all about Jesus, you know, it's all about Jesus. So there's this manger, and, and the boys are really trying to ingrain them. It's all, about, it's all about Christ, you know, all about Jesus. And so, you know, you go through the whole thing of why, why do we celebrate Christmas? Because God gave us the greatest gift of all, which is Jesus. And so then it goes into, that's why we give gifts. It's supposed to be an example of God's love for us. We want to show love to others. We give gifts because it's all about Jesus. So we're sitting there last night, Elias and Jude and I were talking about Christmas. And we're going through the Christmas story. And, and they're getting it. And it just, oh, it just blessed my heart. You know, it's all about God. It's all about Jesus. Jesus was the greatest gift. Judah's got all these great points. So Elias is talking about it. He's talking about the wise men and the wise men bringing gifts. It's like, yeah, that's, that's great. That's what it is. Wise men brought gifts, so that's why we do gifts too. So we keep talking about the Christmas story. Elias can't get off the wise men. Because the wise men brought, yes, Elias, the wise men brought gifts. And so we keep talking about the wise men bringing gifts, etc. So Elias goes, and that's the reason we celebrate Christmas, is so we can get gifts. And I thought, all this training just downhill. Because you try and try and try. But the point is, you just do the best you can, you raise them up, and you realize the world's going to be there left and right. And parents, if you're here today, and, and your kids are not walking where they're supposed to walk, just like we talked about last week, don't give up. Don't let discouragement and depression get the best of you. If you've trained them in a godly way, seeds have been planted, and that seed will eventually sprout at will. And, and, and maybe you're thinking, you know what, I didn't do a good job raising them. Oh, your witness right now can be a witness to them. You always have an opportunity. And you know what, parents, if your kids are walking in the truth, enjoy it and give God the glory for it. It's a wonderful blessing. And it's neat to see it when it all comes together. Because the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice when he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Don't you think God the Father delights in you and I when we do what's right? Don't you think heaven rejoices when James finally got it? He didn't allow worry to get the best of him on that one. He didn't allow the anger to get the best of him. James got it. Heaven rejoices. It's a pretty neat thing to see it when it all comes together. And how does it come together? Well, you have to go back to the beginning, verse 12. Apply your heart to instruction. You've got to apply it. You've got to make the effort to say, oh, I want things to be different. Verse 23, you've got to buy the truth. Lord, I want what Jesus wants. I want what the Spirit leads me to do. I want my life to follow what the Word says. And very simply put, if you choose to go on your own path and not follow what Jesus wants, not follow the Spirit's leading, and not live your life according to the Word, there's not going to be peace. Uh, I was talking to a gal recently, it doesn't come out here, and through just different things, you know, she's associated with the church, we're associated with her on some stuff, and we're talking, and she just starts opening up about how difficult life is right now. 
and she's not saved, and, and she's talking about how tough life is now, family situations, work situations, etc. And you try to think of the words of comfort to give her. And you start realizing, there's no word of comfort to give her unless she knows Christ. I mean, what else can you tell her? And so, you know, I used to sit there and say, you know, the Bible says, you know, God is good and does good. He gives strength to the weak-hearted and the faint-hearted. And, and it really hit me this week. I was reading through Psalm 29. There's this great, great verse that says, God gives strength and peace. I thought, oh, Lord, that's what the world needs. But the problem is there's a few other words in that verse. God gives strength to his people. God gives peace to his people. So if you want strength and peace, you have to be part of the people. There is no promise to the world of comfort. There is no promise to the world of peace that surpasses all understanding. And I don't know how many times as Christians we quote Romans 8.28, and all things God works for the good. Okay, God does not work for the good in the life of a non-believer. Because the life of a non-believer, they're making choices that are dangerous to themselves that's causing pain and hurt. Now, if you're a believer, that verse is true. God works for the good of all those that are called according to his purposes. As a believer, when something happens to my life, okay, Lord, I don't like it, I don't want it, but I know something is going to come out of this to further the kingdom. Thank you for that. As a non-believer, there's not a promise to give you on that. And so what I've really realized here as of late, because we do a lot of counseling, we do a lot of talking to people, when they come and they're struggling with situations of the world, the best thing I can give them is, is Jesus and Scripture. What else do we have to offer? I can't tell you that situation is going to turn out okay, because I don't know. I can't tell you that that marriage is going to be healed, because your foundation is not in the Lord. I don't know. I can't tell you your kid's going to grow up and make the right choices because you're not training them in the Lord. I don't know. Now, as a believer, I can tell you God's going to use it. As a believer, I can tell you God's going to give you comfort. And so what it really comes down to, once again, is verse 23, the truth. Oh, boy, let's just give people the truth. Let's give them the Spirit. Let's give them the Word. Let's give them Jesus. See, but the problem is the world rejected Christ. Remember, they yelled, crucify him. So, as soon as you start giving the world Christ, be prepared, you may be rejected. And you have to set yourself up and say, okay, Lord, thick skin, soft heart. When I'm rejected, they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting you. And i got to keep giving them the truth. Because that's all that matters, is the truth. With that being said, it's a couple little... Um, Mop-up points here, if you will, in Proverbs 23 that are important. Main point, though, is verse 12. Let's just not listen to instruction. Let's apply it. But there's a couple little interesting points there that I think are good. Look at verses 10 and 11. Do not remove the ancient landmark, nor enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is mighty, and he will plead their cause against you. You know, when you look throughout the Bible, God consistently tells us to love everybody, he consistently tells us to treat everybody the same, no favoritism, etc. And that's an ongoing point. But every now and then he throws something out there where he almost looks like God's playing a little bit of favorites. And one of the things that he seems to play favorites a little bit is verse 10, the fatherless. James 1.27 comes right out and says, Pure and undefiled religion is this, that you take care of the widows and the orphans. Isn't it amazing? God has such a heart for the fatherless and the widows. Isn't that a picture of us in our relationship with Christ? Before I was saved, wasn't I an orphan? The world didn't care about me. Satan sure didn't care about me. I was an orphan. I had nothing. God came in, adopted me, the Bible says, 
became my father. Before I was saved, I didn't have a spouse, a spiritual spouse. The Bible says when I got saved, I become the bridegroom of Christ. And there's a oneness now, a spiritual oneness, because the Bible looks at God and I as a, a married unit, if you will. See, he has that special place in his heart for the fatherless and the orphans. That's one of the things I'm thankful about is that we out here at church, as the church started growing, you get more widows and orphans. And I am horribly, horribly mechanically uninclined. Nothing. And I'd get phone calls from gals that were going through a tough time with a physical thing in their house and be like, you know what, i got to call somebody. Um, actually, real quick side note, you'll be really proud of me. Uh, I was... Don't laugh already. I was in the restroom here at church between the services, and the paper towel roll was empty. Guess who replaced it? That's right. I almost went, thank you, thank you. I, I almost went and got rich, and I thought, no, I can, I can do this. I can do this. And uh, my day's complete. So, point though is, part of the beauty of, of having Rich out here was be able to go around to the, to the widows and the orphans, and he just made a comment to me, I think it was this week or last week, of how he was just going to call up all the widows and just say, hey, check in, are you doing okay? Wow, that's what we need to do. We want to make sure we're taking care of the fatherless right there. Verse 10 is meeting that need. That's just pure Christianity and love. Someone needs some help with something, then by golly, let's be there to be to try to help them and show love in all that we can and all that we do. One last point here. And, and Proverbs 23 is, most of the time when I go to Proverbs 23, it's probably because of this reason right here, is, is the last few verses. And really not a segue, but the last few verses here deal with the idea of um, alcohol and the problems of it. Look, look real quick at Proverbs 23, verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or one who lies at the top of the mast, saying, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? That's the thing. If you want, verse 29... Woe, sorrow, contentions, complaints, and wounds. Boy, that's what the alcohol does to you. You know, I have never heard anybody say at the end of their lives, I wish I would have got drunk more. Never heard anybody say at the end of their life, boy, hangovers were just the best. Now, in the middle of youth and stupidity, oh, we think it's funny, don't we? But in the seriousness, at the end of it, is it not worth it? Alcohol has destroyed so many lives. I know it. You know it. We see what it does. It brings woe, sorrow, contentions, complaints, and wounds. It numbs us. Verse 35, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beat me, but I did not feel it. And look at the end of verse 35. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? It is not worth it. Verse 32, It bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Oh, it is just not worth it. And that's what also says here. Jump back, if you will, to verse 19. Hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. Do not mix with the wine-bibbers or the gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and the drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. If you want the alcohol, you'll probably lose your job, you'll probably lose your family, your wife, and your kids. It's not worth it. 
And we all know this. We all know this. And it's not worth it. We have to stop and reach that point of saying, okay, God, it's not what I want. This is not the path I want to go in life. This is not the choice I want to do because it is not worth it. So what's the flip side to it? Well, the flip side, I think, is found in uh, Ephesians. And once again, reading out the New Living Translation, it's Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. How simple is that? Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Boy, See, that's what it comes down to. You only can have one thing control you. It's either God or the world. And you may say, well, I'm not struggling with the alcohol. Okay, fine, so alcohol is not controlling you. Is it riches, like we talked about earlier? Is it pride? Is it arrogance? Is it drugs? Is it lust? It's something. Something is driving your life. It may not be verses 29 through 35 of alcohol, but there's something that's driving your life as if you're in the world. That's why God makes it so clear. It's not the wine. It's being filled with the Spirit. And I don't want to add to Scriptures, but you know what? It's not the lust. It's being filled with the Spirit. It's not the money. It's being filled with the Spirit. It's not the pride, the promotion, the authority. It's being filled with the Spirit. You have to decide what you want to control you. And you may say, okay, James, I'm not letting alcohol control me. I'm not letting riches control me. I, I don't think I'm letting pride control me. Okay, sometimes it's just you. You're the satanic influence of your life. It's your own self. You're controlling you. I've met very good moral people. They're not saved. I've met people that are in the world that aren't saved that are probably nicer to some Christians I know. But the truth of the matter is, they're still controlling their lives. They're not being filled with the Spirit. Very simply put, who's on the throne of your life? Who is the one that you bow down to? It's either going to be the Lord or it's yourself. And you have to decide what that's going to be. It goes back to verse 12. Apply your heart to instruction. If you are sitting here this morning, you need to apply what has been taught and read and say, Lord, I don't want me. I want you. Verse 23, I want to buy the truth. I want Jesus. I want his spirit. And I want the word. That's what's going to get me through my life because it's not worth it, the rest of this. Marv, if you come forward here for the final song. Don't forget, next Sunday, Christmas program, 8.30 service will be just uh, message and worship. 10 o'clock will be message worship in the Christmas program. Um, I told the first service, if you don't like kids, come to the first service. And that's, what it, that's what it comes down to. Um, but I, I tell you this, we joke and laugh a lot, but really, seek the Lord. Because I know all of us came into this uh, room today seeking God, I hope on things. Now, let's apply it. Let's just not hear the right path. Let's not see the right path. Let's choose the right path in all that we do and all that we say. So uh, Marvin and Callie here have a special they're going to close up with, and then we will uh, let you guys go. Actually, as they're finishing up here, let's just have a quick word of prayer. Lord, as we come to you now, a lot of things we talked about today, the riches, just the wine, the lusting, everything that can bring us down. Um, Lord, we want you on the throne of our lives. We want to buy truth. We want to apply truth. We want to live truth. If there's someone here today that is struggling with something, I pray in the name of Jesus you're pointing them in the right direction and giving them strength to follow through on it. Lord, as we talked about families too, if there's parents in here with hurting kids, I pray you give those parents comfort and peace. And I pray, Lord, whatever situation those kids are facing, you would give them the spirit to point them in the right direction, Lord. We trust that you're speaking to them. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And keep us safe on the way home too, Lord, in your name. Amen.